It's game day, Tampa Bay. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Left circle, Stamkos. Holds, holds, shoots, scores! Stamkos! Again! The latest Lightning news, interviews, and more. Wow. With your host, Greg Linelli. That's great, folks. That's great right there. On Lightning Power Play. I tell you what, some pretty interesting results coming out of the uh, poll question that we posed yesterday, and I want to uh, start with that a little bit tonight, and then we'll get into the game against the Ottawa Senators. Brooks Roland from the Scrum Sports joins me in our next segment, and uh, again, if you want to get involved in the conversation, you can at Greg Linelli. Afterwards, tonight, we're going to have the last call for you again. Eric Erlinson and I will be doing the honors there, and hopefully the Lightning will be talking about a two-point night after the game ends against Otto because you've got a short day tomorrow knowing that you're playing the Carolina Hurricanes at 5 o'clock. So that's going to be a tough game for sure, but we'll see if the Lightning can uh, get to work and uh, get two big points, I think, against a, a team who has given them problems this year. They've split two already, and the Lightning had to go into overtime in their last game with Anthony Sorelli winning it to down the send. So we'll see how this all plays out uh, moving forward. At Greg Linelli on Twitter, as I said, hit me up. There, But the poll question we had yesterday dealt with some players who maybe have surprised you up to this point. And the question was, who has impressed you the most with their play? And the four choices were Kalorn, Palat, Sergachev, and other. And I said surprising because I didn't think Kalorn would get 64% of the votes. He did, and he's leading right now. Palat at 5%, Sergachev at 28%, other is at 3%. I'll get to some of your reactions, but I actually selected Sergachev. And while Alex Kalorn is a guy that certainly has maybe exceeded expectations, there's no doubt. I didn't think Sergachev in his progression into becoming a top four defenseman this year would happen quickly. And I say quickly because we're three years into this, but we all know playing for a very good team on the back end can take sometimes multiple years, four or five years for you to really feel comfortable playing in that type of setting. And I appreciate what Sergachev has been able to do. You know, he came onto the scene and he was a guy that was very good offensively and that's never really gone away. The question everybody always asked was, what are you going to get defensively from him? And for me, that's why I have been very impressed with his play as has, I think a lot of people who follow the team. Because his physical style of play, I think, has allowed him to become a very good defenseman all around. You know, with Alex Kalorn, we always felt like he was going to get to that 20-goal plateau. Or maybe if you didn't, you felt like he was going to get close again. And maybe he's exceeding your expectations now with how consistently good he's been. And that, that part is true. There's no doubt about that. And I think, you know, to Kalorn's credit whether it's his contract or whether it's just him growing as a, as a player now being what in his thirties, he's 30 years old that he's finally gotten to a point where he understands who he is and he's in the prime of his career and he's kind of putting it all together. So in some ways it's not surprising that Kalorn is doing what he's doing. I think what is surprising is how consistently good he's been. And, and maybe that's the, the difference, but I think with Sergachev, the fact that it's come this quickly on the back end, I think, has been rather impressive. And for me, that was the selection I chose. And I do think Mikhail Sergachev has taken the next steps in becoming really one of the top four defensemen on this team. And I asked the question, I think a couple of days ago, but I'm going to ask you again as well. Do you feel like this is the best back end in Tampa Bay Lightning history? I made the case last year. I thought last year's was because of everybody that was on that back end was playing at a pretty high level. Specifically, Chernak and McDonough were really a, a standout tandem. Of course, you had Victor Hedman. You had Anton Stroman. Now, granted, Stroman, I think, played dipped a bit last year, but he still was solid. And you had a Mikhail Sergachev, who was a young and up-and-coming player. But this year, you know, Dan Girardi is gone. Braden Coburn doesn't have as big a role this year as he did last year. But Victor Hedman is back to being a Norris Trophy candidate. Mikhail Sergachev has taken steps in becoming one of their best defensemen. Kevin Shattenkirk 
has been tremendous this year, and that, that's been a, a very good pickup by the Tampa Bay Lightning. You know, McDonough and Chernak, I don't think are, have been as good this year as they were last year, but they've been solid. And now you're talking about Jan Rutza, Luke Shen, or Braden Coburn as your 6th, 7th, or 8th defenseman in no particular order, although I think when he's healthy, it is Jan Rutza. So I'm asking you the question, do you believe this group of defensemen for Tampa Bay is the best defensive core we have seen in Tampa Bay Lightning history? And for those of you who obviously were here during the early years or during the cup runs, I want to hear from you as well at Greg Lanelli. And, you know, there, there was that rumor about P.K. Subban coming in and, and possibly coming to Tampa Bay. Again, that's more of a rumor than there is legs to that, I think. But if it is true in any capacity, it kind of gives you the mindset that Julian Breezewell doesn't want to take any chances and wants to shore up every single portion of this team if he can. I still think if he can get another depth piece on the back end, that's probably the route I would go. Although you've heard a lot of people talk about maybe addressing the bottom six. Let me just tell you about the bottom six and give you my take, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this as well. If Tyler Johnson and Yanni Gord continue to be in a bottom six role for this team, and I don't know if they will. We know about line changes. We know about combinations. It's a little bit different year in and year out. And, you know, Tyler Johnson, I'm sure three, four years ago, didn't think he'd be in a position this year where he's a guy that's basically a spare part. Now, injuries certainly have hurt his, his year this season, some inconsistent play. And it's just been one of those years where it hasn't gone for him the way he'd like it to go. But let me just say this. If Tyler Johnson for this specific year and Yanni Gord for this specific year fulfill their role as a depth piece and can give them that depth scoring that maybe Julian Breezewell is still looking for, I don't know if the Lightning need to go out and get another player offensively to fill that void. Now, again, if they, if they do, I'm not opposed to it, obviously. Again, I, I keep going back to what I told you a while, that you know I was the guy that... Felt like Artemi Panarin was somebody that could come in here and help the team last year. So I'm willing to listen to any type of player you suggest when we start talking about helping this Lightning team because I think every team can use an upgrade. Um, whether it's a depth piece, whether it's a big piece, that's for Julian Breezewatt to decide. But when I sit here and, and I take a look at their depth scoring and, you know, look, we can nitpick whether we think it's Mitchell Stevens or Carter Verhage or, you know, Jamel Smith. Luke Witkowski, all these players that, you know, might be that 12th forward or 13th forward on this team when you take a look at, at what they're trying to accomplish and do you need an upgrade there. And while I think there is certainly room for conversation and judgment about what they can do with those specific players, I do think some of it all becomes a bit of a moot point because if you're going to get the production from Johnson and Gord that we've seen in years past on a third or fourth line, I'm not sure you really need to upgrade because you know what you're getting in Cedric Paquette and Pat Maroon, and you have some other guys that can fill certain roles and do it pretty well. But I think really Gordon Johnson, for me, at least the way it's it's playing out now, are guys that have had bigger roles on this team in previous years, but for whatever reason, they are not fulfilling those roles this year. But that doesn't mean they can't be beneficial to this team. And if come playoff time, they're playing in a, a, a situation where they're depth pieces, but fulfilling that very well, then I do think it's a situation where the Lightning don't have to go out and make a big splash offensively. I don't know how you feel about that, but it hasn't been the year that Johnson and Gord envisioned, but that doesn't mean that the year is a waste. And I do think they can still help this team and have a big say when it comes to how this team finishes. And I'm wondering how you feel about that, at Greg Linelli on Twitter, if you want to get involved in the conversation. You know, in some ways, Tyler Johnson might be the one guy that we're looking at to see how he finishes and whether or not that de determines if Julian Breezewell needs to make a move. Because Johnson's somebody that really hasn't had uh, the most consistent year, but he's the guy that over the years has been consistently in that 20 to 25 goal range. And if he gets back to that, whenever that may be, that's going to be a huge boost to this team, and we'll kind of see how this all plays out. But Tyler Johnson and Yanni Gord are two guys specifically I'm going to be watching very closely as the year progresses to see if they can get back to being those players but on a third and fourth line role. And then again, 
you know, John Cooper may feel like Tyler Johnson needs an opportunity to play with uh, the top six, and maybe we see more mixing and matching. But I do think it's something to keep an eye on tonight and uh, the rest of the year as the Lightning uh, continue their march to the playoffs. Uh, at Greg Linnelli on Twitter, get in touch with me. You can. I, I don't have a great feel for this game tonight. The Senators are uh, not a playoff team. Um, they do have a lot to play for from the standpoint of their players progressing, their younger guys, and trying to show that they belong in the National Hockey League, and sometimes those can be the most challenging games. Ottawa, we know, doesn't have a, a great history of packing their arena, so sometimes the atmosphere can be a bit dead. But the Lightning really have to focus on getting two points tonight for the obvious reason, and that is the game tomorrow night in Carolina is going to be difficult because it's the second game of back-to-back. It's also against Carolina, and Carolina's a pretty good team, plus that game's at 5 o'clock. Um, scheduled losses are a real thing in the National Hockey League. And I'm sure the coaching staff and the players have looked at this specific weekend and said, you know what, that game Sunday is going to be tough. Let's try and get this one tonight, and then whatever happens tomorrow, we'll deal with it. And uh, John Cooper, who we're going to hear from in segment four, talked about that a bit yesterday, and I want to bring that to you uh, later on in the program. At Greg Linnelli on Twitter, get in touch with me if you can. We've got the pregame coming up at 6.30, but Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports, he's up next. Glad you're with us here on a Saturday on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Peter Kutrop, left circle, cross ice, Johnson, right circle. Jump score! Oh, what a snipe! The latest news, interviews, and more with your host, Greg Lanelli. He would not be denied! On Lightning Power Play. Lightning Power Play Live rolls along here on a Saturday. We're getting you set for Lightning and Sens. Tampa Bay trying to extend their win streak to six games and make it 14 in a row against Atlantic Division foes. Here to talk about it a little bit more, a good friend from the Scrum Sports. Let's welcome back to the program, Brooks Rowland. Brooksy, good to be with you, buddy. And we've kind of been waiting for this run by the Tampa Bay Lightning this year. Uh, it's maybe happened a little later than we expected, but this win streak is coming at a great time, isn't it? They could not have timed it any more perfectly. And as usual, I appreciate you having me on. And it's uh, it, it's been one of those things where we've been waiting for the other shoe to drop and waiting for it to drop. And I think we're finally starting to see it drop. It took a little bit of time. You know, we saw the team go through their their issues for the first couple months of the season. But, you know, I, I've maintained throughout that if this team were still struggling by December 31st, then, you know, maybe really, really start to worry. Maybe you think, you know, maybe there's possible changes on the horizon. But they've they've righted the ship. You know, we've started to see them, I, I would say, put it all together. Because Julian Breezebois, excuse me, Julian Breezebois made a, a really good point about his team during his uh, State of the Team address to the media when he was saying that, you know, the Lightning have played well, but the record hasn't always shown. Whereas last year... You could say they they, you know, outperformed their record in, in some ways. I mean, I mean, they they were, you know, they they had. A, I mean, you know, last year was its own unique entity, as we've talked about many times before. This year, especially in December, I thought that they were playing some excellent hockey, but it wasn't always showing up on the scoreboard. But over these last five games or so, they're starting to finally bear the fruit of their labor, and we've started to see them kind of you know put things together the fact that they're holding on to leads you i mean granted you'd like to see them get off to faster starts we've seen them get off to slower starts most recently notably against buffalo against uh, montreal when they played at amley arena but i thought they got off to a really good start against detroit i thought they got off to a good start against montreal up at the bell center and i i really think that we're starting to see everything slowly come together there's a lot of hockey left to be played but at the same rate you have to be really encouraged by what we've seen over the last five games or so and especially the fact that they've all come against atlantic division opponents so it's really allowed them to give themselves a boost up in the standings and put themselves in a more comfortable playoff spot i mean they can't rest on what they've done yet but i i feel a lot more encouraged now than i did about a month ago Brooksy, who's leading the way? Is it one player or are there several? To me, it seems like there's there's almost a different guy every night. 
I mean, we, we've seen contributions from several different guys during this run that they've been on. I mean, we've seen Hedman play at his usual high level. We've see, seen Stamkos contribute. We've seen Point and Kucherov contribute as well. Alex Kalorn's hot streak <laughs> you know, just keeps rolling on. He's been outstanding. I think Andre Palat's been playing some of his best hockey of the year. You go back on the blue line, and in addition to Hedman, I mean, Sergachev has just been absolutely dynamite, especially over the last month or so. And really, they're, they're, getting, they're getting contributions from everybody, and I think we're finally starting to see the goaltending stabilize as well. You'd like to see more consistency, but Veselevsky's game on Thursday in Montreal was very, very encouraging, and I think that's something that he can build off of. Now, we've said that about a couple of games from him earlier this season, then we've seen him come out and lay an egg the following game, so you'd like to see more consistency, but that game up in Montreal, I felt like that was the one, that was probably the first game this season where he stole it for them. Not that the Lightning played really, really poorly, but he made some outstanding saves that kept it a one-goal game almost throughout. Brooks, I think you can make a strong case this defensive core, the way it's playing, might be the best we've seen. I thought last year you could have made that case, but the way Sergachev is playing, he really really has elevated that core, hasn't he? Oh, absolutely. And, and I thought before the season began that he would be the big wild card on that blue line. You know, the, the big question was, was Mikhail Sergachev going to take that next step? I mean, when they signed Kevin Shattenkirk, it was really, you know, not, not, not a shot at the bow of Sergachev necessarily, but, you know, it, anytime you get a, a veteran, solid, offensive-minded, puck-moving defenseman at a bargain price, you do it. But at the same time, it, you know, we, we've seen Sergachev's game grow even this season. I thought last year he went through a little bit of a sophomore slump, and the first month, month and a half of this year, you know, he was having some issues in the defensive zone. He was having some issues with turnovers. But we've seen him really, really correct that, especially in December. I think he's been outstanding at both ends of the ice, even making those little plays in the defensive zone that might go unnoticed at times. But there are plays that have you know nullified scoring chances for the opposition. And then, I mean, we've even seen, seen him throw the body a little bit more. I mean, he's a big guy. And, you know, we've seen him use his size, use his physicality, and I think that uh, the sequence in Buffalo might have been one of the highlights of, of the entire season in terms of it, when, it, when you, if you make a list of like the top 10 sequences by any Lightning player in any game this season, that one might be at the top of the list. Just I mean, you saw his swagger level just go through the roof in Buffalo. I mean, laying that big hit on Jack Eichel, getting challenged to a fight by Jake McKay, basically winning the fight. Yeah, sure. I mean, there, there's the crowd taunting, but, you know, that's stuff like that sometimes happens in the heat of the moment. And Buffalo did get a shorthanded goal right after that. But at the same time, they didn't panic. You know, they, they kind of used that as a rallying point. And I think Sergachev is really, really making a case to be a top four on this team. Maybe not this season because of who they've got on the blue line right now. But, you know, w when you look ahead to the summer and to next season, I mean, Mikhail Sergachev is making a strong case to be bumped up into the top four permanently, and maybe we'll even eventually see him be a top pairing guy at some point down the road. Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Brooks, I asked the question on Bolts Radio, who's impressed you the most with their play up to this point? Kalorn, Pilat, or Sergachev? It's a slam dunk right now for a lot of people on the poll question. It's 64% Kalorn, but for the reasons you gave about Sergachev being a wild card, I have to be hard pressed to say it's not him. You can you can make a strong case. You could make a really really strong case for uh, for Mikhail Sergachev being at the top of that list because I mean when, when you look at young defensemen in this league and, and the fact that he came into the league you know on a permanent basis as a 19 year old. I mean he's you know he's had his ups and downs like any young defenseman has, but we're I think we're seeing the light go on for him and. The best part for the Lightning is, is he's not even scratched the surface. I mean, he's really, really, you know, he, he's got a, still a long ways to go in his development. But, you know, eventually, if he continues at this rate, you know, he, he's going to be a very, very dynamic player for this team for a very long time. I mean, when, when you look at what Kalorn and Pilat have done, I mean, they, they've obviously got strong cases as well. Because, 
Palat's had the injuries the last couple of years, but you know, he changed up his training regimen in the off season. You know, he's been playing fantastic hockey this year at both ends. We've seen him rediscover his offensive game. And then Kalorn, I know we've talked, <laughs> it seems like whether it's on your show, whether it's on our show on uh, that you can hear on the weekends. I mean, it's, it, it's really, really impressive what Alex Kalorn has done. I just, I can't figure out if this is just an outlier season for him or if maybe he's reached a new peak and he can kind of build on that over the next couple of years. That's going to be something that's going to be worth watching the rest of the way. But, I mean, in totality, what what Killorn has done so far this season, it's like we're waiting for that shoe to drop and it just hasn't dropped because we know how streaky of a player he's been in the past. He's been solid, no doubt about that. Brooks, I threw this question out the other day on my show. I want to get your thoughts. And let me preface this by saying I think all these restricted free agents are going to get signed to a deal, Sergachev, Chernak, and Sorelli. But where they are right now, if you had to rank them in terms of importance, most important to this team, how would you rank them now? Because I think if you would ask this question last year, it would have been different. And I think if you ask it right now, which I am, it's going to be different as well. Uh, if you're ranking them, I would probably... I would say, I would probably right now say Sorelli 1, Sergachev 2, and Chernak 3. But Sorelli and Sergachev, it's very, very close. Very, very neck and neck. I mean, what, what Sorelli's been able to do defensively, offensively, both ends of the ice. I mean, he's played some important minutes for this team. He plays against the opposition's top lines. I mean, he's, he's also a, a key cog in the penalty kill. And the leadership aspect as well, you can see it coming through. I, I, I mean, I, I give him the slight edge over Sergachev, but you, I, I would say Sorelli is at the top of that list. And this is not a knock against, you know, Eric Chernak as well. But Chernak had a, a very solid rookie season. We've kind of seen him have a bit of a lull in his sophomore year, kind of like what Sergachev had a year ago. I don't think Chernak's ceiling is quite as high as Sergachev's. I mean, the, the offensive ability isn't quite as there. The defensive game is more well-rounded. You know, he's not afraid to, t- to take the body as well. But all in all, I think all three will get signed. I don't think Chernak's necessarily going to break the bank, though. Now, Sorelli and Sergachev, it wouldn't surprise me if you saw bridge deals for both. I mean, when you look at Sorelli... You look at what this team has done with contracts in the past. I think that we'll probably see something similar to what Tyler Johnson and Andre Palat got as bridge deals, which was around $3.3 million. Could see it go a little bit higher, maybe 3.5, 3.7, somewhere in there. But I, I don't see Sorelli breaking the bank on his next contract. I think it will be a bridge deal. I think Sergachev will probably get the same, maybe maybe a, a similar dollar amount. Maybe not quite as high as Sorelli, but I, I think that all three of those guys will end up getting signed this offseason. And then, of course, you know, the, the Lightning have to figure out what they're going to do about their cap crunch. But I think all three have proven that they're they're pretty important pieces on this team. Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Are we just at the point right now where we've accepted that Sorelli is your second line center and basically Steven Stamkos is a wing at this point? I think so. I, I think, you know, you, you kind of have to roll with what's hot. And, you know, putting Stamkos on the wing, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, Stamkos obviously, you know, is has been one of the best centers in this league. And we've seen, we've seen his all-around game really improve over the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, his offensive exploits, are, you know, really need no introduction. But, you know, he's not necessarily the first high-profile center to make a move to the wing and still thrive. I mean, Claude Giroux did it in Philadelphia, I believe it was last year, and he, you know, he looked fantastic on the wing. So it can be done. I think the transition from center to wing is much easier than it is to go from wing to center. And at this point, with the way Sorelli's playing, I, I, I think that we, I, I think that this team is is set right now with him as their second line center. Obviously things can change. You know, we've seen John Cooper mix and match the lines. It's it's not something that I think will will necessarily be permanent, but you never know. I mean, he he goes like John Cooper will go with the hot hand until 
you know, the team's play, necess- you know, basically necessitates a change. He will, and we've seen that throughout his tenure, but um, we've certainly seen guys like Sorelli, Kulorn, and Stamkos have good chemistry. I don't think he wants to mess with the point kucherov Pilat line, and, you know, that leaves guys like Tyler Johnson and Yanni Gord, players who have been in the top six, kind of more as depth players at this point. And if they end up filling that role, I do believe it could benefit this team in a big way. We'll talk more about that with Brooks Rowland on the other side of the break. Part two of our interview is coming up next. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can, at Greg Linnelli. And don't forget to go to the at Bolts Radio Twitter page. We've got a poll question that is there for you to answer. And uh, it's been a pretty good one, I I think. We've had some really good dialogue. Who has impressed you the most with their play up to this point? Kalorn, Palat, Sergachev, or other? And you still have some time to get in and do what you need to do to vote. But uh, we'll talk to Brooksy on the other side of the break right here on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Shot taken, Morgan! What a save by Vasilevsky! No rebound! The latest news, interviews, and more. No. With your host, Greg Lanelli. Really? On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live rolls along on a Saturday. We're getting you set for Lightning and Senators. Don't forget, after the game tonight, Eric Erlinson and I will have the last call for you on Lightning Power Play. Let's get back to uh, Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports, part two of our interview here. Brooksy, would you entertain at all re-signing Kevin Shattenkirk? I would entertain it. I don't know that he's going to... Uh, I don't know that he's going to be affordable. That that's That's the big problem because... You, you look at the deal that he signed. I, it's $1.75 million for one year. And, you know, he, he basically came to Tampa for two reasons. One of those is to win a cup. And the other is to rebuild his reputation. Because when he was in New York, his rep took a big hit. Actually, if you think about it, his rep started to take a hit when he got traded to Washington. Because, remember, he was a deadline rental a couple years back with the Capitals. And things didn't really work out there. I mean, he was only there for a couple months for a quick playoff run to the second round. And then he walked as a UFA, ended up signing in New York. And it seemed like for them that was a great deal. But when you looked at it further, it wasn't a deal that really worked out for both sides because the Rangers were asking him to essentially be their number one guy. Kevin Shattenkirk is not a number one defenseman. You can justify him being a top pairing guy, sure. but He's not a true blue number one defenseman. You know, ideally, you, you know, he'd be in your top four, maybe top pairing, depending on who else you have on your blue line. But his reputation, you know, and to a degree, it was a bit unfair how his rep took a bit of a hit because he had some injuries in New York. And like I said, he was asked to play number one minutes and he's not a number one guy. But that rep took a hit. He came here looking to rebuild that rep. I think he's done that. I think he's been really, really good this season, You know, especially in the, in the offensive zone, on the power play, at even strength, moving the puck, all the things you expect from Kevin Shattenkirk. With that being said, you know, it's going to be really, really tough to keep him around. And I know, he's yes, he's getting his buyout money from the Rangers, but at the same time, you know, he, he's got to be thinking that if he continues to produce and save, the Lightning go on a long playoff run, or if they win the Cup, I think he walks. I, I think he does. I mean, you can try and re-sign him, but if the money's too high, I, I, I think that he's going to end up probably walking. Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports joins us here on Lightning Power Play Live. Brooksy, what's scary about this Lightning team is I still feel like Braden Point hasn't hit his stride yet. Do you feel like that's coming? I think we're starting to see it. I, I, I think that, you know, I, I don't see him topping 40 goals again. But I mean, well, I mean, he could do it again in his career, but I'm saying this season, he's probably not hitting 40. I mean, we, we might see him get close to 30 or around 30. And I think we're starting to see him hit his stride. I, I thought that, um, you know, during this winning streak they've been on, he's been playing some really, really good hockey. But, you know, it, it took him a bit to get going after the um, the hip surgeries in the offseason and missing all of training camp. And that's not something that you can just discount. Anytime that you miss training camp, anytime you miss time during that during camp to get ready for the season, 
you know, it, it puts you behind, you know, it, it puts you in a spot where you're kind of playing catch up. And I feel like while Braden Point hasn't necessarily played poorly, he's been kind of playing catch up for most of the year. I think in this recent run of wins, we're starting to see, I, I think we've finally seen him get caught up essentially. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him go on a bit of an offensive tear over the next next few weeks, maybe the next month or so. And I, and I think the, the Lightning are going to need that if they're going to continue to make a rise at the standings. Brooksy, what's your take on the Lightning and maybe at the trade deadline doing something? Do you feel like they need to be all in this year? And if that means making a big move, you do it? If the move is there to be made, absolutely. I, I, I think that, you know, last year I made the case that they should stand pat. I mean, they were in the midst of just a ridiculous run, you know, 62 wins, 128 points, and they stood pat. And I, I understand why they stood pat. You know, they, they were, they were on enough of a roll where I, I didn't think a big move was necessarily one that needed to be made. But this year, I think if you can, if maybe you could shore up your bottom six, you know, you look into it. I mean, if you could find another depth defenseman, I, I think you look into it as well. But it's not something that you necessarily want to break the bank for. I mean, I, I've, you know, I think we've all heard the recent rumors that were floating out there about, you know, w- would the Lightning consider trading for PK Subban? I think that's, I think that's ridiculous. I don't, I don't think that that would work because, I mean, you'd have to ask New Jersey to retain a bunch of salary. I don't think, um, I don't think Subban's, you know, his game has really been where it's at. I mean, he, let's face it, he's slowly, you know, getting past his prime. He's probably already past his prime. And then you get to figure there's not a need. There, there's really not another need for a, a puck-moving defenseman on the roster right now. I, I think that this team needs maybe, a, a, I mean, another shutdown guy that, can, that has decent skating ability and that can move around wouldn't necessarily hurt this team, but at the same time, you don't want to just make trades for the sake of making trades. If it betters your roster, sure, go ahead and make it. And I think that the Lightning will be in the running, you know, for whether it be for a depth forward, whether it be for a depth defenseman. But I I don't necessarily see them being in the rental business like some teams out there might be. Brooksy, before we let you go, to that point, how big is it now to see Tyler Johnson get going and be that depth piece for this team? It's incredibly important. I mean, he, he's a guy that tied his career high for 20, with in goals last year with 29 of them. But this year we've you know seen his, uh, his numbers drop. Lately he has been better. We, we've seen him you know start to produce again. We've seen some more aggressiveness out of his game as well. And he's one of those guys that... You know, ideal like any other team, he'd probably be a top six forward. But with the depth that the Lightning have, especially at, at center, right now he's a bottom six guy. You know, somebody. You, I mean, this team has a, a bunch of guys that can play in the top six, but with only you know six spots in on those two lines, you know, somebody's got to drop the third and fourth line, and Tyler Johnson has had to do that. And, and I think it's important because obviously you, you want to see production from your stars, but you know, if, if that one of them is having a bad night and you can get production from one of your depth guys, you know, it, it's, it, it's crucial that they get more from him. And, and another guy, I think that, that you'd really like to see more from is Yanni Gord. I know he, he had a nice little run in mid November, right around when they went to Sweden but over the last month or so, his his offense has really dried up. You'd like to see more from him as well, and and I think that when you get when you get that kind of offense from your bottom six forwards, it's just that much more important because you need like guys like that to produce in the playoffs. Obviously, you want your stars to to lead the way, but you need your depth guys to contribute, especially if you're going to make a long run in the postseason. Yeah, and I think Johnson and Gord are two guys who are very capable. And I think that's the other shoe that needs to drop in addition to Braden Point getting to that next level. Tyler Johnson and Yanni Gord figuring some things out. How to mesh being on a third and fourth line, at least as we sit right here. Uh, Brooksy, before we let you go, last question, I promise. Uh, what do you make of tonight's game against the Sens? It's a team that's given Tampa Bay problems. But again, if Tampa Bay wants to continue to climb the standings, they need to beat a team like this tonight. 
Yeah, the, the the run of play against the Atlantic Division has got to continue. And let's face it, the, like before the season started, I'm pretty sure we all or a lot of us pegged the Ottawa Senators to, if not be in last place, we ex- expected them to be in the bottom three to five of the league. And they're in that neighborhood right now, but they're, they're still not a team that you can take lightly. I mean, d- despite the record, they've played well at times. You know, they've been competitive. They've got, you know, some good young pieces on that team, but there's also not a ton of talent on that team as well. There, there's, there's just not a lot of depth. It's a group that's clearly in a rebuild. I mean, they're, they're positioned, I think, to, to do well going forward, but this is definitely a rebuilding year for them. But yet they've given the Lightning some issues this season. And I, I think that it's it's really imperative that the the Lightning really limit the mistakes against Ottawa because despite the talent disparity between the two teams, I've noticed in the two meetings that when the Lightning have made mistakes in their own end, when they've made mistakes in the neutral zone, and when they've committed turnovers, that has really, really hurt them against the Sens. Because you have to remember... The last meeting against Ottawa was when Kucherov got benched for the third period after he committed that turnover at his own blue line, which led to Anthony Duclair scoring a breakaway goal. You know, I mean, there there's a couple finishers on that team. There's a couple guys like Duclair, like Brady Kachuk up front that can really make you pay for mistakes. They don't have a ton of those guys, but still, I mean, it's a team that you still have to you definitely can't take this this group lightly, despite what the record shows and despite the fact that they're most definitely a group in transition as we speak. Well, Brooksy, we appreciate it. Let us know where we can read you and listen to you. Well, you can find us at thescrumsports.com. You can also find the Scrum Sports on all social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can find my Twitter feed at brooksroland82. Uh, you can also check out the show I do with uh, Trevor Grout every weekend right here on Lightning Power Play Live. It's called Off the Rails with the Scrum Sports. We talk hockey. We talk other things. And, you know, we lay out show prep, but sometimes we kind of go off the rails and get a little scatterbrained. But we still have a good time regardless. Good stuff, Brooksy. We appreciate it, bud. Thank you, Greg. There he goes. That's Brooks Rowland from the Scrum Sports. When we come back, we got one more segment before we get you set for Lightning and Sends on Lightning Power Play. You're listening to Lightning Power Play Live. Crosby, open in front, backhand shot. What a miraculous stop. The latest news, interviews, and more. Finally! With your host, Greg Lanelli. Oh, the relief on his face! On Lightning Power Play. All right, Lightning Power Play Live rolls along here on a Saturday. I want to get some player and coach sound from yesterday. John Cooper and Steven Stamkos specifically, the head coach of the Lightning, uh, John Cooper, feels like his team's playing well. They want to continue to do what they're doing, and he spoke to the media about a a couple of different topics that I want to have you guys listen, uh, specifically the back-to-back games coming up today and tomorrow and what that takes to uh, get more than two points if you can and then a number of other topics as well. But here's the head coach of the Lightning, John Cooper, on Lightning Power Play. We've got eight games before the break and only three or four practice opportunities. When you've got something like that, a bad ratio in terms of trying to practice, what do you do with your practice? Do you just look small picture based on last night's game, or do you kind of work in big picture? You don't have many opportunities to work on stuff here. Yeah, you you kind of look for trends in your game because we've played so many games in such a short amount of time. You can see the trends, um, you know, things we need to work on. But a lot of it is just execution, practice with speed, um, you know, things that we need to work on. Which, coincidentally, we didn't do last night or or the beginning of the Buffalo game. Um, so we just tried to get our reps in there and you know worked on a few things we needed to work on. And is it? You just gotta keep. You know, hope that, you know, things you've worked on the first couple months of the year, this is when it needs to pay off for you. He's moved around quite a bit in different lines and wing to center. Like, how, what's the key in as coaching staff and trying to get him in a consistent role or consistent a situation where he can kind of play his best, I guess? I don't guess we'll on Some of it's personnel. Yeah. Um, just trying to find fits for everyone and 
uh, during an 82 game year, I think it's rare that you see, you know, lines stick together, even in Boston. Um, you know, the big three out there play together quite a bit, but not all the time. And so, uh, you know, you just, you're looking for fits, for synergy, for all those things that are helping you win. And right now we're having a little success the way the lines are now. And, um, you know, it doesn't say that, you know, Tyler's not a big part of our team. He is a huge part of our team and uh, very versatile, can fit in a lot of different roles. And it would be ideal if we could have everybody, you know, the same lines the whole season just doesn't work that way. <clears throat> yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Back to back, three and three, whatever, geographically, travel wise, that you've been part of? Just pick anyone uh, when we were playing in Norfolk. Uh, because you basically, we weren't very close to anybody, so usually the, it was a 10 hour bus ride to get to the first one, a couple hour bus ride to get to the next one, and then usually the game after that was uh, anywhere between a two or a three o'clock in the afternoon or so. Uh, I always look back at that, that you know, especially the team that we won the Calder Cup. Um, you know, we had that win streak where you know, we'd won our final 28 games. Well, there was a lot of three and threes in there that the, the boys bailed out, and it's uh, it's a grind. Um, but yeah, I don't call them three and threes; they're three and two and a halfs. That's what they are. Uh, a game that always sticks out in my mind was um, a few years ago team played in Jersey on a Saturday night, snowy night, get through the game, get to the plane, de-ice, waiting to take off because flights were delayed all day, had to get de-iced again, fly to Detroit, check in at 5 a.m., play at 5 p.m. that day, you win 3 nothing. Bish shuts him out, Johnny scores a goal, I forget who else scored, but what did it take to win that game? I mean, that seemed like a monumental effort and you're facing a very similar one here well <clears throat> building on the question on the three on three the one thing about games like that is it really helps when you get the lead and so if you're playing a team that's not a back-to-back -back, it, it, it's probably a little bit different but playing with the lead is is a big part of it uh, because not necessarily changing your game but you know defending and and you know you you break the game down into small pieces of just getting through this to um, um, to win the game is a big thing for me uh, but it's uh, there's there's some games and every team has it where you circle that game on the schedule and say okay this one's a little bit of a travel grind for us we're gonna go we're going through that right now um, but our boys have found a way to respond a lot of times in those and so um, you know, we just hope that there is no de-icing tomorrow night because it is a quick turnaround. When you have back-to-backs, how do you kind of come to decide on, on the goalie rotation in terms of do, do some guys like Vasily like to play the first one most of the time versus the second one? Or do you, I mean, divisional matchups? I mean, I, I don't know. Like The goalies just like to be told yeah. beforehand. Other than that, uh, I, I don't think they really care of w what game they're playing. Um, more often than not, you find your quote-unquote backup. Backup is the guy going to get the second half. Um, but we don't necessarily work that way. We'll have guys, you know, you know already this year, Vassi's played the second half. Um, and it's probably going to happen more times this year. But it's all basically, you know, your rotation, uh, how, how much is your starting goalie played. And so we've kind of got it patterned out, you know, weeks in advance of how it's going to go. And... And so, yeah, when it comes down to is the starter always playing the first game, definitely not. John, what's the balance between being the high-octane, run-and-gun team you guys have always been and then locking it down when, when it's needed? How, how, how is that managed? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's always a work in progress uh, because, let's be honest, scoring goals is fun. And the... Uh, We've got players, you know, you look at our roster, we've got some guys that, you know, that's kind of how they've played. And um, a challenge as a group is, is you know, kind of how, you know, is it is it win the game 9-3 you know, or is it win the game 3 nothing? 
You know what I mean? And, and you gotta, those are the things that you have to just instill is once we get the lead, you know, can you extend the lead and then can you protect the lead? And so that's what we always talk about with our players. Um, but in the same point, you don't want to stifle their offense and just turn it into a complete def defensive sure. juggernaut because some of the players we have, it's just they're not built that way. And so you try and tailor a system to the group you have and, and get the buy-in. When everybody buys in, actually, it doesn't really matter what system you're playing. It usually works. Mitchell one of the guys who expanded his leadership role this year, been more vocal, whether it's meetings like that. Are there any other guys that have kind of done expanded their role a little bit, you know, leadership-wise, when you've had the guys that you had to lose in the offseason? Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's been a little bit of a probably a collective effort. Um, the additions have helped uh, with Maroon, Shattenkirk, Luke Shen. Those guys have been... Uh, uh, great additions to the room, especially after what we lost last year. Um, but you watch, you know, the transformation of, say, the Johnsons, Platts, Kalorns, when they came in you know, many years ago when I came in, they're different players now as vocal in the room. And you're just watching a transformation of guys as, as they come through. And, um, you know, then soon it'll you're hoping that it's going to be the points and the Sorelli's and it's just a, a one big you know, cycle of guys um, stepping to the forefront and, and I think a lot with the, we lost a lot of the leadership last year it opened the door for a lot of those guys uh, this year. Alright, that's John Cooper from yesterday talking about um, the tough road trip we talked about this the other day about how I think a lot of teams will look at the schedule and say is that a, a considered a scheduled loss and not necessarily the one tonight, but the one tomorrow in Carolina. It's a 5 o'clock game, so you're going from Ottawa to Carolina in less than 24 hours, and that's tough. That's a grind, even though these guys fly first class and you know they get treated very well. They are still human beings, and the, and the body can only take so much, and you just hope, as John Cooper said, his team gets a lead tomorrow in that game against Carolina. And then I think if that happens, you know maybe you get an opportunity to – uh, scratch out a point or two if you're lucky. But that's tomorrow. They have to get by Ottawa tonight, and uh, it'll be a scrappy game because, let's face it, these two teams, when they've played this year, they've played twice. They've been tightly contested games. Of course, the, the Lightning uh, were able to win their last game. That was back on December 19th. Remember, that was Anthony Sorelli scoring the game-winning goal at 441 um, to make it 4-3 Tampa Bay in OT. And that was the game that Kucherov was benched, remember, in the third period, and... In overtime, when he turned the puck over and Anthony DeClaire scored on a breakaway. So these are things that um, stick in, in athletes' minds. And maybe a guy like Kucherov would have a big game tonight, knowing that that game against Ottawa, as a professional athlete, to be benched uh, is pretty embarrassing. And for a guy like Kucherov, you definitely don't want to have that happen again, for sure. So something to keep an eye on tonight. Don't think it's going to happen when we talk about Kuch, but I think uh, the Lightning really want to get this one tonight and then whatever happens tomorrow happens but try and secure two points and uh, move on steven samko's talked at practice yesterday as well here's the captain on lightning radio it's been weird because we've played some good hockey the last two months and some of the games haven't got the results and we thought last night maybe it was the opposite where we didn't play as good of a game and got the got the win but when uh, you were in the position that we were in you know five games ago we want wins, we want points. We talked about before um, get, getting on a little run here and you know we were you know, two, three games behind teams so we needed to win those to catch up. So we've done a good job of that. Ultimately it's about winning and getting points and we'd like to continue the streak. Last night's game maybe wasn't one of those games where you thought you deserved to get both points but how important are maybe those grinded out games when you think about the playoff picture and down the road some of the different types of ways you may have to win and, and being able to win that one? Yeah, it's a long season. Um, you definitely are, aren't going to play well every night so um, sometimes you need your goaltender to bail you out and that's what Vassi did for us. It, uh, you know, the, the penalty kill was great as well. I think we killed off all four. One of those games you don't get a power play, so you're you're chasing the game a little bit. But you know, Vassi was great, and you know, when you have a world-class goalie like that, sometimes he has to bail you out. And um, it was nice to see him, you know, play really well. Well, we've we've seen them a couple times this year. They, they've been tight games. So if you look at their record at home, it's it's very good. It's one of the top in the league. So they're they're going to work extremely hard. They 
they got really good, you know, young players. Um, their, their special teams um, can be dangerous. They got some guys you really got to keep aware of when, when you're on the ice against them. So um, this is, like I said, part of this this stretch of 13 games in 21 days that we started a couple of games ago. And in the middle of a, a road trip here, you you got to come out and, and be assertive. You know, we looked the last couple of games, their starts, it was better last game. But that's something when you're in the middle of a road trip, you want to get off uh, to a good start tomorrow. Two on this team right now as you get through this really tough stretch, 13 and 21, and maybe even looking at players like Sergachev, Sorelli, you know, guys who are continuing to step up when you need to get points. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what good teams are. That's the, the basis of a good team is having the depth and in all the positions. It's something we've relied upon as, as a group for a long time to be successful. So um, those guys are uh, the two guys that you mentioned are younger players but they've been in the league now a while and you know we expect them to to be good every night and and they are i thought they both played great here during the stretch all right that's steven stamkos and uh, he talked earlier about vasilevsky bailing his team out and i really felt like that game against montreal as i said before that was vintage vasi and hopefully tonight assuming he gets the start which i would assume he would that's um he can build off of that game because I think once Vasilevsky gets back to where he was last year and the year before, I think this team has an opportunity to get to another level because I think they are playing better collectively uh, as a whole when you take a look at what they did last year. Last year, again, and I agree with him, most people say, look, there were some games they didn't deserve to win, but because they were so good offensively, they won them. And maybe their record lags behind how well they've played this year. I think that is the case. I don't think that's just talk to appease people. I, I, I do legitimately think this team has played well, and their record probably is you know four to six points better than what it should be. But that being said, it's not. And all you can con- continue to do is work on what you've been doing, improve on it. And if you do that, then the record will take care of itself. But Tampa Bay right now sits at, uh, in third place, 48 points through 39 games. And that's why it's important to take care of business tonight against Ottawa, a team who is pretty good at home, 11-6-2, but they have 37 points. And the Lightning would be, I think it would behoove them to get uh, a couple of points tonight and really feel good about this road trip and uh, heading into the game tomorrow night against Carolina. All right, the pregame's up next. Hope you stay with us. And then after the game, don't forget, we've got the last call, which you can hear on Lightning Power Play. Eric Erlinson and I will be doing the honors there. We hope you uh, enjoy that as well. But the broadcast for the pregame is up next. It's Lightning and Senators on Lightning Radio.